please open up your Bibles to James chapter 4, where we will pick back up here in verse 11, and we will finish, I believe, the remaining of this chapter, 11 through 17. And you're like, wow, these are just only a few verses, but hold on, there's a lot to these verses. And then we'll be taking communion. That is more for those who are online so that they can rush out of their, out of their we won't call it the lounge chair. They're standing there looking at the screen, right? Make sure they have their little uh, something to drink, a little juice, and a little cracker, a little bread, so they can take communion with us. So that's a preparation for them at this moment in time. Yielding to God's will. You know, there's times in our lives that we're more willing to yield to others than other times in our life. And that can be for many reasons. But we must learn as a child of God to always be yielding to His will. And that comes with growth, that comes with maturity. And as we see in our scripture today, James is emphasizing the challenges that they were having in the early church. That they were not willing to not only yield to one another, but they certainly the root of the problem is is because they were not willing to yield to God's will. Many times people don't yield to God's will because they don't know God's will. Because they've just been born again. maybe, Or they're not born again at all. They've not been regenerated. They don't have the Spirit of God living within them. So you're not born again. You would not understand what it means to yield to God's will. It, that, that's, I don't even understand it. Those are foreign words. It's like you're speaking Greek to me or something. And so I understand, if you're not born again that you won't understand those words yet. But if you declare you're a Christian and you say that you know God and you have surrendered your life to God, you've asked for the forgiveness of your sins and you believe that he died for your sins on the cross and he lives and reigns and will be coming back for you. These truths, if you believe these things, these are not just words, you actually believe they apply to your life. And you're still not yielding to God's will? then that means you're just not mature yet. We can work with that. That's why you're here. So that you hear the word of God and allow the spirit to help you to apply it to your life so you will mature spiritually. The question now comes, are you willing to yield? Have you ever been in a circle? A traffic circle? And you find some people are just not willing to yield? Have you ever been to a place where you're supposed to be yielding? It's like, I'm going to beat him to it anyway. Even though you're supposed to be yielding. That gives you a really good sense if you ever go into one of those circles again next time. Are you willing to yield? But every day should we ask ourselves, Lord, am I willing to yield to your will? Or do I want what I want when I want it and how I want it? That's what we're talking about today. Because James continues in his letter to the brethren, to the believers. And he's now bringing, he was really bold last week. He didn't use the word brethren. He wasn't soft-shoeing it here. He was like boldly telling them this is truth. You, you need to get your life straight, man. This is not good. The way you're interacting with each other and fighting and wars among yourselves. The problem is, is your heart is not right It's not the person you're fighting with is the problem. You're the problem. And so you need to get your life right so that these wars and fights do not continue. And he continues here with this in the early church because this lack of spiritual maturity is causing problems in your relationships with other people. How it brings about the war with God within yourself, that is your problem. Why you're squirrely? Because you're warring within yourself. You can shift the blame all you want, but we know what the scripture says. You're warring within yourself, and you must make sure that you're right with God. And when you're warring within yourself, then there's going to be bad fruit that's going to be bearing from your life, which causes the fighting with others. 
And we saw that in the beginning of chapter 4. But in addition to conflict, in addition to this judgmental, critical spirit among the brethren, arrogance and bragging kind of mentality started to become very apparent and very prevalent in the early church. They, figured, they thought they figured it all out. That they can just do and live however they want to now that they have this relationship with God. That they can now just freely live however they want to live. That attitude brings about a, fruit, a bad fruit called arrogance. Spiritual pride. Self-righteousness. Legalism. There's all kinds of things that come bearing from this attitude that you are in control over your life and you're not. Because once you give your life to Christ, you're saying, I'm surrendering my life to him. Do you realize how many people don't understand that as a Christian? That when you give your life to Christ, you are to die yourself so he can reign in your life? Let's just change the words. You're willing to yield to his will and not have your will be done? It's the same thing. So James is not sauce-shoeing this here. He's telling him, and he's going to address this characteristic of boasting and going to call it what it is. It's evil. Your arrogance that you think you're in control of your life is evil. It's not foolish. He didn't call it foolish. He called it evil. It's a darkness that is going to absolutely destroy you. These are not my words. These are the words of the, of the scripture. These are God's words. You can struggle with God and wrestle with him on that. But the question is, is but why are they at war with one another if they're supposed to be both? They're Christians. Why are they warring there? We belong to the same family. We trust the same Savior. We are indwelled by the same Holy Spirit. And yet they fought with one another. Why? Simple question, why? James answers this question, explaining we are at war with ourselves. And when we're at war with ourselves, we're struggling really with God. We saw that in verses 1 and 2. And we're not humbled. We saw that in verse 10 of chapter 4. You're not humble as much as you proclaim you are. And he ends here in this part of the letter talking about the will of God. Because you're not willing to surrender your life to the will of God. You're not willing to yield to what God wants to do in and through your life. The one who created you in, the, in your mother's womb. The one who gave you a life when he saved you. From your bondage of sin. You're supposed to be yielding to him now. Not still demanding what you want in your life. And what you want to do. Because when we see and we're willing to understand. And, and to receive the will of God. And not to be any longer at war with God or war within ourselves and, and, and now willing to be humbled. These two are very much in relation. When a believer is out of the will of God, he becomes a troublemaker and not a peacemaker. You want to know why you're not at peace with someone that you fellowship with or within the family? is because you're a troublemaker. And the reason why you're a troublemaker is because you're not in the will of God. We must check our hearts. So James starts here in verse, it picks back up here in chapter 4 of James, verse 11. It says, he shifts and talks about the will of God. He says, now do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver. There's only one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? So James sits here, makes it clear 
to the people there, they understood this. The question is, do you understand the scripture right here? What is the law that he's referring to? The law of love. We see it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. All the law is summed up in the, this one word, love. Jesus says it makes it clear when, it, upon, when you're loving God and you're loving your neighbor, on these two commandments hang all the law of, and of the prophets. We see that in Matthew 22, verse 40. So James is saying here, if you really are loving God and loving others, then do not speak evil of one another. You must humbly, humbly live your lives in a way that you're just, you're just getting right with God must result in making sure you're right with other people. Getting right with other people is a step you must always pursue because the love of God and the love of others is the law, that the royal law that we must follow in our lives. And anytime there's a strife, you must take steps to be a peacemaker and must pursue to make sure that you're not speaking evil of one another. And when we are right with other people, it will show in the way we talk about them. So we must not speak evil to one another and not judge them. See, speaking evil is translated here in the ancient Greek as katalalia. Katalalia is the sin of those who meet in corners and talk evil about someone. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing great. Are you, oh, I'm blessed. Are you blessed? And then you walk right into talking about speaking evil of others. That's hypocrisy. It's evil. You, you get together and you talk about, oh, we're just having some social time and we're just going to do this and oh, we're just having fun and, and it breaks out in speaking of evil of one another or speaking in a way. Not only is someone in this group that you're getting together, it's not only taking some, oh, did you hear confidential information? Oh, did you hear? Oh, I heard. You know, oh, let's, we should pray about this, shouldn't we? And you continue to speak evil about the situation. It could be true. Yes, it's true. It's, it's in the papers. That doesn't allow us to still speak evil about the other person. Yes, pray for that person, not to one another, but to God and God alone. And it's not just one person. It could be a family. It could be even the ministry. Did you hear about that ministry? Oh, I heard about that. Speaking evil. It should not be, my brother says, we should not be doing that. Because it's not good, it's not right. This sin is wrong for two reasons. First, it breaks the royal law of love that we should love one another. And second, it takes a right of judgment that only God has. God's the only one that judges. And when we judge our brother, we put ourselves in the same place as the law. Like you're the lawgiver, the law, the judge. You're not the lawgiver. There's only one lawgiver. And you're not the one. This is something that we have no authority to do is to judge another person like you're the lawgiver. Because there is only one lawgiver and who are you to judge another? This is the extension of the of the same humility that James talked about earlier and that writes in the, in the beginning of chapter 4 about that proper humility before God. And if you're not careful, it will turn into this arrogant judgment of our other people around us. It's only a slippery slide that will happen for you. 
This is not to rule out the civil courts or the judges and, oh, we should get rid of all the law and and the law enforcement people and all that kind of mentality. You see that kind of darkness around the world today. Get rid of the, the, the people who enforce the law and get rid of the judges. We don't need a court systems and who needs this. Now that's just a whole other side of the very dark spectrum. What we're talking about is that within our heart that talks about or the root of what we talk about of a harshness or unkindness or a critical spirit toward another person even as though they've done something wrong to you that doesn't justify you to turn around and to speak evil about them. You need to give them to the Lord. So we cannot talk harshly. We cannot be unkind. We can't have a critical spirit. Because if we continually find faults in others, you are on a slippery slope of evilness that you're dealing with. And you're convinced yourself that you're not. I'm just telling you what the scripture tells you. You are. One of the greatest moments of in our Christian walk is when the, we hear the Lord whisper into our hearts a clear message of grace and the fact of this royal love and that love is I need you to love other people and God says I will be the one that judges them. If you can get that in your Christian life today you need to learn to love other people and let God be the one that does the judging. If you can get that settled in your mind and how you speak and how you think and how you treat people, you are going to grow spiritually. Oh, how long, how many times people will say, oh, I'm critical spirit looking at all the wrong things in people's lives and critical and oh, it's terrible. You're, You're hurting yourself. You need to turn those thoughts into God. Let me lift him up right now to you. That is evilness that he's done. Yes, that's very clear according to your scripture. That is not how it is. But Lord, I pray that you will send people, send me. Maybe I'm the one who's supposed to share the gospel with them. You'll take care of that. Yes, that was evil. That was wrong. You You will deal with that. I am not going to go down that path. Now, yes, I understand in Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. Avoid them. It doesn't say slander them. It doesn't say speak evil about them. Those who go against the faith and they absolutely hate the faith, you just avoid them. We also, yes, I understand in in Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, notice that, inwardly, inside them they are ravagous wolves. You may not see the fact that they were... Smell like a wolf. They you know, act like a wolf. They're, it's all internally. But they're false prophets. Those, again, you are to, we are to judge the fruit. We're to inspect the fruit. That doesn't mean we're supposed to speak evil. We are not to tear down others with our tongue. James addressed the tongue issue. We're not to talk down at people to elevate ourselves as some more righteous than they. We are not to take the tongue and tear them down and crush their spirit in some form or fashion because you feel more righteous than they. That is not how we are to live as Christians. Regardless of work, in your home, in church, anywhere. Where he's addressing what's happening in the church. So what happens? He now addresses in verses 13 through 16, we see this this attitude of independence from God as a Christian, like you can be independent from God and, and live a different way. He said, verse 13, he says, now come now. 
You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. (laughs) It's a perfect, I love this verse so much because I see it played out in so many people's lives over the years. That you, it's this attitude that I can be so independent from God and do whatever I want to today. Today, I'm going to do whatever I want to. Tomorrow, I'll do whatever I want to. We'll go to such and such city. It doesn't matter. We'll just go wherever we want to. God will just accept it. He'll have to deal with it. Because I'm just, you don't say those words because you're really spiritual. But you go and really your attitude is still the same way. Why are you going to that city? Because I feel like it. How did God show you to go to that city? God show me to go to that city. I, 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 I just I want to go to that city. Oh, okay. Interesting. You're gonna have, how long are you gonna be there? Well, I'm gonna spend a whole year there. I got it all planned out. It's part of my my t- five year plan, my one year plan. My t- you know, if you got it all played out. How did God show you that? God show me that. How do you confirm any of that? How does he, he open those doors? I want to learn from the, how he's, he's revealing himself to you and how he's giving you a whole year plan. A whole five year plan. This is really fascinating to me. You're really special must be. But notice here that there are people who have tremendous confidence in what they are going to do because they think they have their future all worked out according to their will. You have tremendous confidence. I, some of I talk, I, talk, I talk to some people, they have absolute confidence this is how it's going to play out. <laughs> now, if you've been around as long as I have, if you've been around even into your 30s, at least your 30s, maybe 40s, you realize nothing that you've planned has actually worked out. You're not living where you thought you'd be living. You're not doing what you thought you were doing. You're not as as well off and ready to retire in your 40s as you thought you were going to be. Are you with me? It's not exactly what you think. But boy, when I'm a teenager, I think I have it all figured out. When I'm in 20s, I really think I'm out. But then you add a little Jesus in there, and you really maybe think you know it all. But here James says he rebukes this kind of heart that lives and makes its plans apart from this consistent awareness of God's hand in your life. He's rebuking him. He's saying, you're planning things in your life without even indication or having let God have any hand in this. Are you... Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? This is not right. This is not good. It's an arrogance. It's a boasting that you have this self-pride, that self-will that is not going to be good for you. And it's causing a problem within the fellowship. They have this this, 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 this overestimation of their own abilities or this underestimation of their limitations. There is no evidence in the scripture here that they sought after the will of God and prayed about their decisions. He wouldn't be addressing it in this way if they were apparent that they were seeking God's will and that is what God has shown them, that they're going to go to this city for a year and they're going to buy and sell and they're going to make a profit. It's almost like a businessman. I've got this, as a businessman, I've got this all figured out, man. This is, this is, this sounds like a great plan. James says it's foolishness. They measure success. That's how many times we do this. We measure success in life based on how many times we got our own way and accomplished what we had planned. And we take that as building blocks to continue to get down that path of living however we want to live. 
But James deals with the foolishness of ignoring the will of God versus yielding to God's will. It's foolishness. But think about it. Think about what's involved in life today. Think about what's involved in life just tomorrow. Buying, selling, gaining, losing. Going here, going there. Making plans, doing this, doing that. The complexity of life that you're constantly thinking through. Making plans, making more plans. Life is made up of people and places and activities and goals and days and months and years. Each of us must make many crucial decisions each and every day of our life. It can get draining, isn't it? Oh, I can assure you, working a full day, all the way through the day and into the night, have you ever sit there and say, I don't want to make another decision? I can't make another decision. I have made more decisions and complex. Can, can we just not make? But what do you want to eat tonight? Oh, please don't ask me. Just put something in front of me. <laughs> I cannot make another decision. Oh, please, no. You've been there, right? Apart from the will of God, Life is a mystery. You know how many people today live a mystery? They have no idea what their purpose in life is because they don't know God. They have no idea how and what he wants them to do to please him and, and be in his will because they never asked or never even concerned or cared because they've never been taught, let alone understand that God does want to be involved in their life and that he has a plan and a purpose for each and one of our lives, regardless of how you feel. He has a plan and purpose. And so what happens is that we live this mystery, we live in this obscure, unstable life, and every wind that blows of doctrine sways you. Everything that you watch in news sway you. Every time there's something tragic happens, sways you. Uh, emotional moments sway you. Loss and there's just so much when you're not stabilized on the rock of your relationship with Jesus. You are a very unstable person. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually but my brothers and sisters let me reassure you but when you know Jesus as your savior and you're seeking to yield your will to his will to God's will that is when you start making sense of life even the physical world around you takes on new meaning to you there's a simplicity. There's a unity. There is this life that makes sense now. It makes one's life stable and content because you understand from the, a biblical worldview. You understand it from the, our Savior's perspective, our Heavenly Father's perspective in our life and our purpose and reason why we exist in our future. There's no question as a believer. We know we're going to be in the presence of our Lord and Savior. We know that we're going to be with Him eternity. We know we have eternal life. These things bring stability and contentment in one's life but if you're not experiencing the peace of God you're not experiencing stability you're not experiencing this contentment is because you're not spiritually mature or you're not a believer you're no longer living in this unstable mysterious threatening universe of complexity the complexity of life is so complex. If you just focus on what's happening in the world and what's happening in things around you and the fears and the unknowns and the un economy, and you can go squirrely. But when you just sit there and focus every day on the will of God and what he has for you, it, there's wars and rumors of wars and sickness and pestilence and 
Have we, have we not been experiencing these things? If you're hearing my voice and you say, I've been really stable through all this, that means you're spiritually mature. But if these things that have been going on over the last few years has caused you to become unstable and uncertain and fearful and stuff, keep showing up, my brothers and sisters. Keep showing up because you need to spiritually mature and grow where you're no longer living in this squishy, sandy kind of life of instability. You need to get grounded in the word of God and your relationship with Christ. He continues in verse 14, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So he's dealing with these people who have this independence from God mentality and attitude. We're going to live wherever we want to live. We're going to make plans all year out. We're going to buy and sell. We're going to make a profit. We're going to be just, oh man, our life is so planned out. This is going to be great. James says, you have no idea. Your life is just a vapor. You have no guarantee for tomorrow. You act like you are in control over your life and you have no control over your life. Very limited. He says, you have no what will happen tomorrow. It's just a little time and it will vanish. It comes from Proverbs 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. See, these people were making plans for a whole year when they could not even see ahead for one day. One day. You can't see exactly what will happen tomorrow. But they're so confident. We will go. We will stay a year. We're going to buy and sell and make a profit. We're going to make it good and great. And this is a beautiful. You have no guarantee. Remember the story Jesus told to the rich man who made his great plans for the future. Oh, build the barns, man. We're making things fruitful, profit. Oh, we're going to make more barns. We're going to be bigger life, bigger this, bigger that. It's going to be great. And what happened? We see it in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. At the very end, God says, foolish. Well, you're foolish because you just, your soul will be required of you this day. Life is not uncertain to God. God knows all things. Beginning the end, Alpha and Omega. Beginning the end. He knows everything. So it's he's not uncertain. The one you follow, the one you listen to, the one you're yielding your life to, he is absolutely certain. So it's not uncertain to God, it, it, but it is uncertain to us. Only when we are yielding to God's will can we be confident of today or of tomorrow. For we know that he is leading us in the uncertainty of life. Are you willing, are you letting God lead you in the uncertainty of life? What does that mean? Where am, I, where am I going to live? Or what's, what, what, what job am I going to have? Or how am I going to be able to provide? Or how am I going to get through this next health issue that is coming up because these bodies are wearing out? How do I get, how do I have, it's all these uncertainties. What if that crazy man overseas actually does push the button? But actually, what happens if the monkey shows up? What, what are we going to do? All these uncertainties. God says, yield your life to me. And it won't be uncertain. 
Why? Because he faithfully says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I, he faithfully says, I'll promise to provide for your needs. James asked us to consider that fragility, the fragility of human life. The fact that we live and move only at the permission of God is when we're stable. James does not discourage us from planning. That's not what he's saying here. He's not discouraging us from doing things. Not, not, it's not that. The only thing he's trying to get clear to his readers and to God, the Holy Spirit speaking to us, is that it's only... It's so important we understand that we plan and do as God leads us. James is saying, stop it. Stop your planning and doing apart from the reliance on God. You cannot continue to live your life that is not relying upon God. You can't. You're a child of God. We must listen to our Heavenly Father. We must do what the Heavenly Father says. That means you have to communicate with your parent. There's nothing new under the sun. We see it played out in our kids, do we not? We were kids once. When your parents say, did you something? La, 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 la. Today, you can't do this. We used to do this because we didn't have headphones back in my days. Now, they just put the headphones on and put the things in the air and turn it up. And it's the same thing. La, 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 la. I'm not listening to you. Because uh, if I listen to you, then I feel like I have to listen and actually do. I didn't hear you, Dad. Sorry. Yeah, sure, you are. To us, life seems long, and we measure it from year to year to year, right? We celebrate it. But in comparison to eternity, James says, it's just a vapor. The scripture also refers to it as a shadow. We see it in Psalm 102.11. My days are like a shadow that lengthens, and I wither away like grass. Job chapter 8, verse 9. For we were born yesterday and know nothing because our days on earth are a shadow. It's just a shadow. It's just a vapor. It's comparison of eternity is just a very short period of time. So James now switches and says, instead, instead of speaking evil, no longer do that. Stop planning your life out absent, independent from God. Everything you plan day by day, year by absolutely need to seek the will of God and yield to whatever he says to do. Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Verse 16, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is what? evil it is nothing but sheer arrogance that makes us think that we can live and move and have our being independent of God it's just arrogance this boasting this arrogance is a sense an essence of sin it is a proud independence of who you are we we had we were, I was raised that you were to, you know, in a family that you have to be independent and you've got to raise up independent children and, and they're going to, we're going to be strong. You're going to be in sports and you're going to do this and then you're going to be that and you're going to get a good education and you're going to get a good job. And then you're going to, it's these things that we teach inherently into our kids. But it's wrong. We must teach our children and we must learn to teach them to rely upon God. That our strength comes from Him, not yourself. Your intelligence comes from Him, not yourself. 
planning your life out is based on what he has plans for your life, not on your own. We must settle that if we do not settle our kids and our, our young grown-ups and our, our even older grown-ups to now live the life based on God, in dependence on God, you're going to be unstable. Because I'm telling you, darkness is coming across the lands. Uncertainty is getting worse and worse. And if you want to be stable, make sure it's based upon an absolute dependence of the will of God. Putting my hope in my plans and my projections and my portfolio instead of yielding to God's will is not only foolish, but James says it's evil. The self-centered bragging must be replaced by God-honoring trust. Because what was happening in the fellowship was, is that this this bragging, this arrogance of having this controlled and beautiful appearance of life going on, was affecting other people within the fellowship. It was creeping out and it was causing problems because it was no longer dependent upon God. It was all dependent on what their abilities were able to do or what their money was available. Oh, you can't do that? Oh, I'm sorry, you can't do that, but I've got money and I I work hard and I've got a good job. And if you go do something in your life, maybe you'll have what I have. It's these arrogance that can creep into our lives that is not right. If someone's down, why aren't you taking what God has provided to you? Go help them. If they would have taken care of their life and, 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 and ate better and, and been this and then that, then you know, we have your health. And you, why don't you stop talking like that and go over there and help them pick them up and take them to the next, or next appointment? We've got to move away, my brothers and sisters, of what this church is talking, or what James is talking about and rebuking this these church. Because instead of having this self-reliance, you need to be in the will of God. And he says here, instead of be talking like you're in control, why don't you say, if the Lord wills? If the Lord wills. If the Lord is the one is orchestrating this, then we shall live and do this or that. Paul had it played out very, very clearly in the scriptures. He says, Paul knew and understand this principle. He says in Acts 18.21, I will return again to you, God willing. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. 1 Corinthians 4.19 I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. 1 Corinthians 16.7 his understanding, his attitude understood everything hinged if he was coming or going or staying or going to vacation or going over to here to do ministry or going on a mission trip or he's going to do this. It wasn't his plan. It was God directing his steps and permitting if he was or he is not. Once you get that settled in your mind, as you seek the Lord, he puts the desire, his desire on your heart and then he gives you that desire. Then you take steps of faith and it will require faith if it's of God. If it doesn't require faith, then it's not of God. We know that in the scripture. But you take steps of faith and as you plan because God is putting the desires in your heart to move in that day, you take, start taking steps toward that. If the Lord wills, I will be here doing this. God put in our heart, my heart, many years ago in 2001. What God said I was going to do in my life. But he did not tell me all the steps that would be required or places I would go and how and when it was actually going to take. And it took 10 years later. And in between those 10 years of what he told me where I was going to be, there was many things he took me through on the path to prepare me for that time. I didn't figure that out. I didn't decide those things. I didn't have it all scripted out. I used to be like that. I was in business. Everything was planned. I lived a life where everything was timed out in my, in my 
calendar. Again, I didn't have a phone. I had the paper. <laughs> and I had the calendar. And I had it in pencil because I may not keep you in my calendar. If I had other something more important, I would erase you and I would put someone else in. And every minute of every moment of every day was timed out. You've got one more minute before I get to my next appointment. And that's how I lived my life prior to Christ. Everything was driven by the watch. You have 30 seconds left because I go into my next conversation, next phone call. You got one more minute. I got in my other appointments walking in. They're outside right now. They better be. If not, they're going to lose it and I move on to the next. I drove my life based on my plan. And then God said, oh, really? Let me take everything from you. And broke me. And then I gave my life to Christ. I did not wear a watch. I forget now how long. After I gave, I gave my life to Christ, I took the watch off. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to be driven by the watch anymore. By my plans, my purpose, my, what I'm going to do. And I, didn't, I think I maybe put a watch back on maybe 10 years ago. It was 26 years ago when I took it off. So a good 15, maybe 20 years, somewhere around that, I forget now. But I wouldn't touch a watch because I did not want to go back to the old life of driving everything and everyone around me on my schedule. James says, if the Lord wills. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before going to the cross in Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42? He says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Is that your attitude? Is that your heart today, my brothers and sisters? Are these not just words? These are not just supposed to be just words. Are these your realistic attitude within your heart today? That you want God's best, perfect best for you? Are you just, you'll accept whatever you come up with, thinking it's what's best? And he ends here in this part of the letter with verse 17, which will challenge us all. And that, therefore, based on everything I just wrote to you, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. There's a thing called sin of omission, and there's a thing called sin of commission. The sin of omission is when you know you're supposed to do something and you refuse to do it. It's sin. God says you must do this, and you say, no, I won't. It is a sin of omission. Sin of commission is just doing sin. Overtly just sinning, just going and doing your own thing. Here we see James is saying, God is telling you you need to do something. You know this is what you're supposed to do. Who knows to do good. You know this is right. This is, and you don't do it. You're sinning. We're sinning when we do that. James knows that it is far easier to think about something even talk about something like being dependent upon God. Oh, yes, I depend on God. It's easy to say. It's easy to talk about it when you're around others who love God. But it's a whole other thing, my brothers and sisters, to actually live it. To actually live a dependent life on God. But James makes it very clear to us. 
We are accountable to God to do what God says us for us to do. We're accountable to that. We don't get to decide and not think there's consequences. Because James is constantly coming back to the same, very same theme in this letter, and that is a living a genuine life of faith that is has action behind it. Not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Not just talking about it, but actually living it out according to God's will. Because if you don't, it brings about sin in one's life. Greater light gives greater responsibility. The more you grow and mature in your faith, the more responsibility there is in your life to God. To attain spiritual maturity as a believer, we must do the good that we know, now know of, that we need to do. We must stand confidently on God's word, even in trials and tribulations. We must compassionately serve our brethren without partiality, without favoritism, without any prejudice. We are to serve them in a practical faith way. And we must speak carefully with a controlled tongue and a very wise discerning thoughts. And then we learn today we must submit in repentance to our all-powerful Father, the lawgiver, the judge and only judge, in the most humbled spirit, just action, and trusting heart. We must. We must be what God wants us to be. Not what we want to be, but what God wants us to be. Do what God wants us to do, not what we want to do. Speak as God wants us to speak, not just say whatever comes off, the, whatever you want to say. And sense what God wants us to sense. May we, brothers and sisters, learn and grow and mature in our trust in God and our dependence upon God. Amen? Let us be yielding to God's will today.